Hi, my name is Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten. I hope that you're all enjoying your weekend. As Pamela Anderson said on Twitter, October 3rd, 2019, everyone should enjoy a peaceful, sexy life. So I'd love to extend that sentiment to you, and I hope that you can manifest that. Personally, my weekend has been a mixed bag, but positive overall. My day today was probably the best of all of my weekend endeavors. It was about 60 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny, which was lovely and quite a change because as of recently, it's just been a raw gray abyss. Um, So that was nice. I enjoyed a picnic at the park in seclusion with my husband. We had both Shake Shack and some cold udon. As most of you know, cold niku udon is extremely important to me. For those who are new to my brand, though, let me sidebar briefly to explain just how important. There is a particular local restaurant that I love so, so dearly. And at the end of every calendar year, they present the option to buy a year-round pass. These passes have multiple tiers. I believe it's four different tiers. Um, I opted for the most luxe and expensive tier, which was $900, which, but hear me out, I split that with my husband, but that entitles us to just unlimited free udon uh, every single day, unlimited extras, etc. I know that sounds outrageous to just hear that number putting down $900 for udon noodles, but listen, we did spreadsheets to support this decision in advance because speaking just for myself, I would always get extras to the point that my meal would be $22. I know that sounds asinine in this economy, but it's just really that good. So it seemed like a no-brainer, and now with everything going on with my business and COVID and everything, this Udon Pass has really just like subsidized our whole life and proved that I'm going to live to see another day, which has been magical. Since we split it evenly, I only invested $450.00. But I kept track at the beginning of the year, and I made back my part of the investment by the end of January. So for all of 2020, I've just been racking up like thousands of dollars in exquisite udon savings. And that's something that's been a real rose in the overall thorn of a year that I've had thus far. Prior to the pandemic, it was a dine-in only, cash-only establishment. But with everything that's been going on, they quickly adapted, and it's now a virtually contact-free, cash-free experience. And it's been saving my life and my wallet. So God bless. If you are ever in the Boston area or just in the Northeast in general, I highly recommend you trek down there. It's called Yumega Arukara, and they're also on Instagram. If you see the udon I post almost every day on my Instagram story um, for the past year or so, that is she. As I continue to rely heavily on my udon, 
I am waiting impatiently for my $1,200 government check. Frankly, it's kind of measly and it's not going to do a whole lot for me. I'm most likely just going to put all of it towards taxes. I did my taxes this weekend, by the way, which really hurt as a self-employed person. I'm going to put a brief trigger warning here. If you object to frank discussion of bowel movements, skip ahead 30, 45 seconds, maybe even a minute because I know I speak pretty slowly. But the experience of doing my taxes this weekend as a self-employed woman felt like when you're ridiculously constipated, I'm talking like four days and you've done absolutely everything in your power to change that. And then when it finally comes and you eliminate like a huge shit, you feel so relieved and just thank God this whole song and dance is over. But after the like brief relief washes away, you're terrified that you've just torn out your insides by pushing out that huge shit. That's basically what my experience was like um, using H&R Block online this weekend. I know that we as Americans now have until July 15th to file taxes, but I knew I just had to like begrudgingly do it. And I'm not thrilled about it, but it is what it is. On a far brighter note, I want you all to know that Dina Lohan finally accepted my follow request on Instagram. I forgot I even requested to follow her. I think it may have been about six months ago because it was after I listened to the Dunzo podcast episode about she and Michael's relationship. And it it never came to fruition, so I assumed she just denied me and moved on with my life. But I woke up to that notification the other day, and I considered it a pretty good omen. I think that we're all going to be okay. The first post I saw of hers was simply a photo of Friendly's brand mint chocolate chip ice cream exclusive content. And then several hours later, when I was looking at Instagram stories, she shared that post to her stories. So everything about that really energized me, although I was amused that her IG is private and that's the kind of content she's shilling out. But I love that. I did also see that she shared an IGTV video that her daughter, Lindsay, did with David Spade, and I only had the energy in that moment to take a screenshot and post it to my Instagram story, but perhaps later as a treat. I'll dive in and actually watch the whole thing, because I am quite curious to see what those two have to discuss. The following information is apropos of nothing other than the fact it pertains to David Spade, But did you guys know that David Spade and Naya Rivera from Glee were an item? I don't know how long it lasted, but it was around 2017. Just Google it. I can't elaborate because I know nothing else, but I just thought that I'd pass it along. I'm going to wrap up this personal update by letting you guys know I didn't find anything to do with the lavender I agonized about in the previous episode. She's still here, though. I'm excited to use her. I ultimately decided to make some Earl Grey lemon white chocolate chip muffins, which were kind of just okay. They were fine, though. I did end up making a single-serve batch of can of butter, though, because I found a mysterious weed nugget below my dresser. 
And like I mentioned, I'm quasi-employed right now and don't really have anything else to do. So we enjoyed those muffins with some can of butter on them. I wasn't sure how potent it was going to be since I've never made just a single serve batch of can of butter, especially with this weed nug that was just frolicking on my floor for God knows how long. But for better or worse, it was quite potent. I took it before the new episode of Real Housewives of New York, which, by the way, was a fantastic episode. I think the season is really good. But if you saw this episode or you're just familiar with these ladies in general, it was a pretty overwhelming experience for me. I got really overstimulated and I had to enjoy most of the episode with my eyes closed. After I saw that guy's veneers, uh, I don't remember his name. Ramona was throwing the party at his house. After I saw his veneers, I just went into like full body shock and I had to close my eyes and just listen. So... Yeah, needless to say, the can of butter worked. If you want any advice on making a single serve batch, DM me, I guess, but proceed with caution. Anywho, in episode two, I covered the Instagram drama between Lacey, Megan, and Heather from Rock of Love in the corresponding podcast, Talk of Love. So if this is your first time listening or you missed that, I suggest that you go back for a little refresher before I continue. But this week was Megan's episode of Talk of Love, so it was just she and Lacey. Like I mentioned before, Lacey said that Megan was the new co-host to replace Heather. It turns out that Lacey is actually just going to have a rotating panel of quote-unquote co-host, but they're really just interview subjects every week. So Megan is not actually the new Talk of Love co-host. She was just simply being interviewed, which of course I loved. But as a girl with a long track record and knowledge of deliberate um, omission of words to get a certain reaction out of people, I think Lacey definitely named Megan the new co-host without specifying further to get Heather's cage rattled, which certainly worked. Thank God for all of us. Regardless, Megan's appearance on Talk of Love was truly transcendent. The interview revealed a lot of information that I don't believe was publicly available ever up until this point. I'm a true scholar of rock of love and celeb reality of VH1 era in general, and I was blown away by some of the truths that Megan revealed. She, of course, looked beautiful as ever. She looks better than ever. She aged in reverse. She's as well-spoken and charming as we remembered her on I Love Money, Charm School, Rock of Love, Beauty and the Geek, etc. I want to recap some of the revelations that were brought to light in this interview, but I do encourage you all to listen to it for yourself. I believe Talk of Love is available on Spotify as well as on YouTube. They have a YouTube channel where you can watch the interview. But a few things that I found interesting, apparently Charm School producers told Megan that she was not a contender to win at all, and as a result, she should just stick with her classic character and do her She was told, however, that Brandy C was a strong contender to win, so her entire role was just to play her character and try and carry Brandy C to the end. 
as we all saw, that didn't happen because um, Brandy C spit on Destiny. But sometimes we can't get what we want. Another fun tidbit is that Megan was originally casted for Flavor of Love, which she turned down because she said it wasn't a good fit. And then she was later cast for Rock of Love. Megan also mentioned that she had a boyfriend at the time of Rock of Love and just told him to kind of deal with it and just don't answer the phone if they called, which I love for her. And she also said that she and Brett just had no connection whatsoever, which I think as viewers we could all see. But one interesting thing she did mention about her Rock of Love elimination um, was that it was edited in such a crazy way because she broke the fourth wall. If you recall, when he eliminated her, she just kept unsilently shaking her head nonstop. Um, And it was quite an awkward moment while it panned to the girls' shocked faces, which seemed like a pretty disproportionate reaction for someone just shaking their head and responding in an awkward way. But in this interview, Megan revealed it's because in that moment, she realized that the show was all bullshit. And so she just kept on saying, this is all bullshit. This isn't real, which they obviously had to cut. But consequently, we got that iconic moment. I was kind of bummed to hear that. Not that everything's fake, because like, obviously, but I just loved the interaction between she and Brett of them just staring at each other as she just like scornfully shook her head. But that's the real tea behind it. Of the three VH1 shows, she mentioned that Charm School and Rock of Love, she was just kind of there to have a good time. But that in I Love Money, that was a pretty accurate depiction of her personality, which I love to hear because her tenure in I Love Money was quite, quite iconic. I know the word iconic is kind of trite these days, but I mean what I said. On the subject of I Love Money, one of the Talk of Love listeners asked if her flirtationship with White Boy from I Love New York season one was real, and she confirmed that it was. She said that she legitimately had a crush on him. They both lived in Florida, about 45 minutes away from each other, and in her words, they spent a lot of time together over the years. Um... They haven't spoken in a while. They haven't ended on bad terms or anything like that. Life just happened. But in a nutshell, she was down for white boy, which I thought was quite interesting because I wasn't expecting that. Megan's cast also included Pumpkin from Flavor of Love Season 1, a.k.a. the girl who spit on Tiffany New York Pollard in something that made me lol. Is that Lacey, of all people, said to Megan, I would have had a hard time getting along with Pumpkin because she seems abrasive. Lacey said someone else seems too abrasive. I wrote in my notes, Lacey says Pumpkin seems abrasive, abrasive, lol. She's not wrong. I've said before semi-seriously that Pumpkin is the one person who, as an adult, I would be down to cyberbully. The conversation then turned to Megan Wants a Millionaire, It was largely Ryan Jenkins-centric. They didn't really talk about the shenanigans on set and stuff because that wouldn't really be appropriate, I guess, in the context. But we learned a lot of pretty chilling information. 
If you're unaware of the background, I have spoken about the Ryan Jenkins, Jasmine Fiore murder on episode two, but you can also just as easily Google it and get a bunch of concise information there. So Megan revealed, which really, really shocked me, she wanted to pick Ryan as the winner. They apparently cultivated a genuine connection And she had told him in all sincerity during their one-on-one time, I'm going to pick you. He ended up coming in third place. He went home on the Meet the Parents episode. And according to Megan, that's because she was strongly persuaded by producers that it was the right choice to eliminate him. But she ultimately wanted to be with him in real life. She intended to reach out to him when the show was done filming. She said there was only three more days of filming and she planned to immediately call him, explain what was going on, be like, yeah, I want to hang out with you and proceed with you. Apparently, they were both super emotional during the elimination. They were both crying. He didn't expect it at all since she previously promised him the winning position and all of that. She made a vow to herself since there are only three remaining days of filming. She was just going to ignore her phone altogether for those three days and then fill him in at the very end because she thought, what could happen in three days? Well, in those three days, he he had went to Vegas to drown his sorrows because he was really broken up about the whole thing. And that's where he met Jasmine, who he very quickly married. So when Megan called him up to bring him into the loop, he said, I've met the love of my life. This is great. And that was Jasmine, who he was referring to. As many of you know, Ryan went on to compete on I Love Money season three, which never aired uh, due to the fact that he is a murderer. And he actually won that show. Lacey was on it with him. And something she revealed in a previous Talk of Love episode, I think it might have even been the very first one, is that he won every single challenge, which is super creepy to me. She said he confided in her a lot about his relationship with Jasmine, which at this point had only existed for a few weeks, but in Lacey's estimation seemed pretty toxic and obsessive from both ends. Lacey alleges... um, that their arrangement was for Ryan to get a green card because he's Canadian and in exchange um, he would take care of Jasmine financially. And the reason why he was so hell-bent on just dominating I Love Money 3 was for the cash prize so he could hold up his end of the bargain to Jasmine. Megan revealed that she met with Ryan like right before he went off to do I Love Money and she was trying to convince him to do it because it would be a great opportunity. But she said at this point, Ryan had changed pretty drastically. He'd lost a bunch of weight since the last time she saw him. He was just kind of paranoid and off. He was pretty convinced that producers sent her there to try and manipulate him into it, etc., And Megan said at that point, she lied to him and said she was moving back to Florida, even though that wasn't true because she just decided she didn't want any part of the situation and she didn't want to see him ever again, which given the way things turned out, that might have been a really smart choice on her part. 
Megan revealed that she met with Ryan like right before he went off to do I Love Money. And she was trying to convince him to do it because it would be a great opportunity. But she said at this point, Ryan had changed pretty drastically. He'd lost a bunch of weight since the last time she saw him. He was just kind of paranoid and off. He was pretty convinced that producers sent her there to try and manipulate him into it, etc. And Megan said at that point, she lied to him and said she was moving back to Florida, even though that wasn't true because she just decided she didn't want any part of the situation and she didn't want to see him ever again, which given the way things turned out, that might have been a really smart choice on her part. So pretty quickly after the end of filming and winning I Love Money, Ryan murdered his wife, Jasmine. Another chilling detail that Lacey brought up this time, but she also mentioned several episodes ago, on the show, Ryan would talk to her about horses a lot because Lacey had a horse and he mentioned that Jasmine loved horseback riding and was asking if Lacey would take her out sometime. And she was like, sure, whatever. After the show, they were texting back and forth about when she was going to take Jasmine horseback riding. Apparently, by the time he had already killed her, Lacey put the time frame together. He was continuing to text her about horseback riding as sort of... Um, a self-created alibi to show that, of course, I didn't kill her. I was trying to organize this horse date with Lacey from Rock of Love, and I found that pretty disturbing. But I thought that that was all very, very interesting information that all of you would like to hear. Um, As I said, please do listen to the entire interview. It's almost an hour, so it's well worth the listen. And moreover, it's worth the watch if you watch it on YouTube because Megan looks great. Her hair looks really good. I DM'd her on Instagram to ask her what purple shampoo she uses, and she told me. So I love her for that. If you haven't tired of me using the word interesting over and over in this segment, I'll have you know that Megan's arrival to Instagram earlier this year was in fact interesting. I vividly remember when Miss Megan Hauserman arrived on the scene, and I was really excited, but also skeptical. Her bio said, to do, get back to basics, with an ellipsis at the end. And she kept on posting photos that, as far as I knew, were like public knowledge, like a lot of photos with she and Brandy C, and um, some of the like modeling and promotional work she had done. So I was cautiously optimistic, but I did think it was a catfish-ish. She had only been following a lot of the big 2000s reality TV IGs and Reality Graveyard, which, by the way, is another fabulous podcast with two absolute queens. But on a surface level, it just looked super strange because she wasn't following any friends or family, and it was just a very VH1-centric page. But thankfully for all of us, and for me especially, Andy C ended up confirming her identity. And that weekend was possibly the best weekend of my adult life because Megan proceeded to release all of these full Megan Wants a Millionaire episodes on her YouTube channel. Her YouTube channel, by the way, is PMDH3257. 
I don't know how many of the full episodes are still up on her page because Viacom kept on taking them down for copyright. I swear, I vividly remember that weekend. I just obsessively refreshed her YouTube page and I would download them as soon as I got my little hands on them. Some of them I wasn't fast enough, so currently on my computer I have the first part of episode one. I have none of episode two, the first part of episode three, the entire episode four, and the entire episode five. And while that seems like bare bones, if anyone knows how I feel about Megan, it is a full feast. Megan also mentioned on that Talk of Love interview that she only has access to five of the episodes. Three of them had aired in real time, and she had two additional ones, but the remaining episodes likely will never be seen by anyone ever. But as someone who's been painstakingly scouring the dark web literally for a decade looking for these, the fact that I have this is pretty life-changing. It was really eerie watching, considering um, what we know now, and I don't intend to be callous or make light of what happened, but frankly, 99% of the men on that show seemed as if they could kill somebody. Ryan was also featured super prominently, which leads me to believe that he was going to have a good edit. We know now that he makes it to top three, so obviously there had to be some sort of storyline there. I don't know if I would want to see the rest of how that plays out, but I felt pretty satiated seeing those first five episodes, or at least part of them. Something I did find amusing about the show Heather Chadwell from season one of Rock of Love, she revealed on a reality graveyard interview that she was given a $100,000 development deal for her own spinoff, which ultimately expired. And the $100,000 was then split between Daisy, Megan, and the entertainer for their spinoff shows. So as a result, their shows were much more low budget. And I feel like a really on-brand workaround that they were able to implement on Megan Wants a Millionaire were that the men who would win challenges and dates, they would have to actually pay for the dates and pay for gifts, which removing it from the context of um, the greater tragedy that colored the show, I think that's brilliant because the whole point is that Megan wanted a millionaire and these guys had to pay up. But really, VH1 and 51 Minds just like did not have the cash to bankroll actual like challenges and dates. So 51 minds wins again. Above all, I'm just pretty disgusted at Ryan's actions and the entire tragedy that took place, but I am so glad that Megan's okay. And she's really thriving these days. She's flourishing. She's the trophy wife that she always wanted to be. She has a beautiful family And I'm just so relieved that she was able to go back to her best life ever where she can lay out and tan and eat sushi and tan. Moving right along, I have a YouTube recommendation for you all. I was laying in bed just searching through my recommended videos, which more often than not is a cesspool. 
but I saw a thumbnail that caught my eye and it was this psychologist who reacts to Nine Day Fiance. The channel is called Psychology in Seattle. I believe there are multiple people on the channel, but I haven't really delved into their other content beyond 90 Day Fiance. But the couples therapist who does these reaction videos is named Dr. Kirk Honda. I was immediately intrigued when I saw the thumbnail because 90 Day Fiance and all 784 of its spinoffs are just rife with ghoulish behavior that's perfect for clinical dissection. Since 90 Day has so many spinoffs and spinoffs of spinoffs, I often lose track with what's what, but Dr. Kirk Honda is specifically covering this season of Before the 90 Days, Season 4. Even if you're not a huge 90 Day head, you can probably recognize some of these people from how often they've been memed on your Twitter feeds. I originally planned to just watch one video, but then I let autoplay carry me through the next hour or so. Dr. Kirk isn't a 90-day head or even a reality TV head, so he was reacting to all of these clips entirely out of context and without any prior background knowledge. So it was a really unique and refreshing take to see um, a pretty stoic and level-headed couples therapists react to all of these ghouls. He also does a pretty good job at unpacking all of the different um, privilege and power dynamics between the couple, which was nice to see as well, because those things certainly should not be ignored. So definitely watch him for some nice level-headed takes, but now I'm going to give you my takes on the current season of 90 Day Fiance. Just briefly going to run through my thoughts on the couples this season. Stephanie and Erica. I think that it's really great and brave of TLC to show that LGBT community members such as myself can be just as toxic and annoying as straight people. So that's a real win for equality. I was actually familiar with Stephanie's YouTube channel, Stepanka, from a few years ago when I would just go into a few depressive states and watch people's bad story time videos. So I was familiar with her content, and I was also aware of the fact that she had feuded with Trisha Paytas a few years ago. So do with that what you will. I think it was fairly one-sided because I don't think Trisha really cared that much. She has bigger fish to fry. If I recall correctly, though, Sanders and Kennedy Sanders Kennedy was involved. If you remember OG drama YouTube before it got so meta with drama channels for drama channels, so on and so forth. Stephanie and Erica are also filling the void for me that I expected Avery and Ash to fill. One of the best 90 day tropes, as I've discussed with some of my friends, is when the couple, they're both of comparable age and attractiveness levels, but they're both just absolutely batshit and insufferable. Like I said, I expected that with Avery and Ash, but they're not really bringing a whole lot to the table. So thank you for Stephanie and Erica. On a more positive note, though, I want to say that Erica has very beautiful skin, and I would love nothing more than for her to leak her skincare routine. Ed and Rose make me deeply uncomfortable. 
Before he went to the Philippines to visit her, he was really trying to position himself in a certain light that I noticed even people on the internet kind of fell for, and they were all cheering for Ed and how wholesome he is. But I could see the sinister uh, energy brewing below the surface. The optics of their relationship certainly don't help either, but he exposed himself for the world to see without any of us even having to speculate or infer anything. It's really unsettling to watch them together because he's just a, it all boils down to him being a creepy sex tourist and exploiting this girl who he has a ton of power over. Watching him be so disrespectful to her family as well was infuriating, but I also love to watch him suffer. So at least I'm gaining that out of it. I'm not super in the loop on whether these couples are still together or not. Someone told me earlier that she saw Rose is with a woman now, and I hope that's true. Get Ed away from her. I want no part of it. Now moving on to another 90-day cast member who Trisha Paytas has feuded with, baby girl Lisa. She's another one that similar, similarly to Ed distresses me whenever she's on screen. All just boils down to being a creepy sex tourist with control issues. So watching her and Usman's scenes together unnerved me a lot. Um, but based on the way their relationship is going, it doesn't seem like they'll be together for much longer. So fingers crossed for Usman. Let's briefly discuss the two catfish victims. One of them I feel a great deal of sympathy for, the other not as much. Yolanda I feel really, really bad for. I think it's really unfair that TLC casted her. Um, Given the situation, I feel that if anything, she should be on an episode of Dr. Phil about love scams where she can have her eyes opened and have that be that and just a brief humiliation and rude awakening instead of dragging on and on and on. It's really sad given um, her history and the fact that she's a widow. So that's a huge bummer whenever Yolanda's storyline is on screen. Although the text she sent to Williams that said, are you Nigerian? Dot, 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 baby, question mark, made me lol. David, on the other hand, I think is really creepy, and I don't feel that bad for him. I know that I should to a certain degree because I think he spent like thousands of dollars on Lana over a series of years and years and years, but I can't help but think he um, would be doing that if she wasn't, or the image of her at least, was not a young beautiful Ukrainian woman who he wanted to do God knows what with. So David, sorry, but I don't feel that bad for you. He reminds me a lot of, I think his name was Caesar from a few seasons ago, who was also chasing another Ukrainian love scam woman. And everyone felt bad for Caesar, but he literally packed like edible underwear for their first meeting together. So I really can't bad from any men who are cut from that cloth. Lastly, even though Darcy doesn't really have any storyline to speak of, I'm so glad that TLC is keeping her on the payroll. 
I love her dearly and she just tugs at my heartstrings and I love everything about her. That one scene with Tom that they kept on playing, I think, I swear to God, they dragged that one, not even a lunch scene, it was a coffee scene throughout four episodes when the way he spoke to her made my blood boil. I know Darcy's no angel, but I had enough and I want her to be treated right by someone. On that subject of them stretching out that date for like four episodes, though, it's really a true marvel to me that 90 Day Fiance shows maybe about six minutes of new footage every two-hour episode, and the rest of it is just purely recycled and dragged on. But I can't complain because I watch every single week, and I know I'm not the only one. Another show I watch every single week and even dared to defend on this very podcast two weeks ago is Vanderpump Rules Season 8. Although I stand by most of the merits mentioned in that episode, but the past two episodes, I swear, is a personal attack. They were so hard to sit through and dull and I retained none of what happened and it was right off the heels of my endorsement. So thank you to Lisa Vanderpump for making a fool of me. I don't have much else to say on the subject, but I felt it was only right for me to acknowledge how horrible those past two episodes were, considering I really died on that hill of trying to tell you guys why I still like Vanderpump Rules. So thank you for accepting that I'm fallible, just like you. So with that said, I'd like to emphasize the importance of personal accountability. I'm going to leave you guys here. I urgently need to take a shower because podcasting somehow makes me very sweaty, which is a phenomenon that's both curious and also evil at the same time. So I need to rectify that. But I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will be back for you again next week. If you don't know, you can follow me on Instagram at Botox Groupon. That is B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N. And additionally, I know none of us are millionaires, but I did add a support button to my Anchor FM profile. And it's also in all of the episode descriptions on any other platforms like Apple and Spotify. So if you're feeling frisky and want to support me for a small monthly fee, feel free, although there's no pressure. But I will see you guys soon. Bye.